Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. This morning, we're going to be continuing in our teaching series that Terry brought us back into last week, the book of Acts. We've entitled it The Gospel Unleashed. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 15. We're going to be looking at six verses this morning, verses 36 through 41. And um, while you're turning there, the title of my message this morning is When Christians Can't Agree. When Christians Can't Agree. When we have conflict. So this morning, I don't know if you're in a conflict with anyone. Sometimes even on the way over to church, especially when we come to church, we can have conflicts, can't we? But even outside of <clears throat> Sunday morning, we deal with conflicts with each other. And that's what our passage this morning is going to be addressing. So with that said, we're going to look at Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41. And I'm going to read uh, from the ESV translation. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. You know, personal conflict is a, a funny thing. Have you, have you ever noticed how conflict can just spring up out of seemingly nowhere, even, even those seemingly small and insignificant conflicts, if they are not handled properly, they can grow and they can spread and they can divide brothers and sisters who care for and who love each other. Um, that's what's happened in our passage this morning. And the book of Sol uh, Song of Solomon says that it's the little foxes. It's those little foxes that we have to watch out for because they come in and ruin the vines. And, you know, when I was growing up, my parents bought some a piece of property. And on that piece of property, there was this barn, a beautiful barn. It looked a lot like that one right there. And it, the, the roof structure on that is called a Gothic roof. It's, see how it's rounded? There's no angles on it. It's, it's beautiful. Very diff I would think it's difficult to build. But at any rate, we used to put hay in there. For our cattle, we had a little family farm that, that we had on our property. But one day we noticed that there was a wet spot on the floor and looked up and there was a leak in the top, small little leak. But for some reason, and I don't know why, we didn't fix it. And over time, that leak got bigger and bigger and the floor started to rot out and it began to be dangerous to walk into that, to the barn. And eventually, uh, we couldn't go into the barn, and it started to fall in on itself until it eventually had to be torn down. 
And I don't have a picture of it to show you because it's, does, it's not there anymore. The point I'm trying to make here is that, that an unresolved issue in our roof, because it was ignored, led to the destruction of a beautiful structure. And that's the same thing that happens can happen in our relationships with unresolved conflict. It can destroy relationships. It can destroy family relationships, work relationships, church relationships. And one of the things that we say here all the time is that the kingdom of God is about relationships. Our relationship with God, our relationship with one another. And and the reason it's like that is because God designed it to be that way. God designed us. We have to remember this. We were designed to be in community. If you're a believer in Christ, the community that we're designed to be a part of is called what? Church, yeah. Okay, we're going to have to start from the beginning here. What's the structure that we're supposed to be a part of? The community? All right, good. Ooh, all right, I'm going to have to do another sermon. This is, okay, anyway. So when conflict arises, like right now, if conflict arises and we don't deal with it, then the barn is going to collapse on itself. So we need to be aware of that. And so because that is such a big thing that can happen in the church and does happen, I'm going to be spending two weeks on this topic about dealing with conflict within the church. I'm going to spend today, and by God's grace, my plan is to go uh, further next week into how we deal with conflict, because there's a right way and there's a wrong way to deal with it. And I'm going to be using two sources, well, really one, I'm going to be using the Word of God, and then I'm also going to be using a book that's called The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. I would highly recommend this if you want to grow in how to deal with conflict in a biblical way. He uses, and we're going to see this as we go through this morning, this is a resource that, I, that strongly influenced today's message, but it's, it, he uses biblical principles to show us how do we biblically deal with conflict. And have you ever noticed that the church, Christians, a lot of times we're not good at dealing with conflict? And I think one of the reasons that is, is is because we believe that there shouldn't be conflict in the church. Um, We we think that we have this ideal that uh, in our heads that that our relationships should be about love and kindness, that we should just have awesome relationships all the time. And we know, even the world knows, that Christians are supposed to love one another. this, This is something that we proclaim. And I think that, it, that we, we don't believe that we should have conflict in the church because of scriptures that we've, we've been taught. For example, Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have what? Love for one another. Uh, Psalm 133, verses 1 through 3 says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And you know what's interesting to me is that the Apostle Paul, the guy that's in our passage that's in a conflict this morning, 
He wrote a letter to a church in Ephesus. It's called Ephesians. We call it the book of Ephesians. And in the first three chapters of this letter, he, he just lays out straight gospel to them. He just tells them, man, this is what Jesus did for us. He, he loved us. He came down. He died for us. He's, he's made us, uh, given us an inheritance in Christ. And then in, in chapter 3, he writes, I'm sorry, tra- chapter 4, he writes this. As a prisoner for the Lord then, because the, the then there is because of all that Jesus has done for you, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And then verse 3, he says, make every effort or be eager, be earnest, be diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Ken Sandy says that if a trainer of gladiators might have, he might have used the word make every effort in this way, make every effort today that you would stay alive in the arena. That's what make every effort means. Give everything that you have. And and, and the point I'm trying to make here is that God desires and loves for us to have unity and to have peace within his church. And so we need to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. And there, there shouldn't be, there should not be conflicts in the church. But you know what the truth is? There are, aren't there? That's where you, there are, aren't there? There are conflicts. I mean, we're all, we're all in families, right? Some of us are married, right? Some of us are uh, roomed together. There are conflicts in the, in the church. And today's passage is a clear example of how that happens, that co- conflicts happen, even among mature believers. The Apostle Paul is probably the most uh, well-known and the lion of lions of apostles, and yet he has a conflict that separates him from a brother. And if you remember, when Paul first came to Jesus, before he came, he hated the church. He persecuted it. He put people in prison. He put them to death, voted that they would be put to death. And then he got saved and began to preach Christ. And he comes to Jerusalem, and what happens? The disciples there are, like, afraid of him. I mean, because they believe the gospel can change lives, but they're like, I don't know if he can change that life. And the apostle Paul gets saved, but they don't believe they're afraid of him. And who goes after him? A guy whose name was Joseph. And the apostles nicknamed him Barnabas, which means, what does it mean? It means son of encouragement. Barnabas was a, an encourager. He was one of those guys you would like to be around. He, was, he is for you. He's in your corner. He's not nitpicking you. He's wanting to help you grow. And so he saw Paul. He took him by the hand, brought him before the disciples and said, no, Paul is the real deal. And he brought him into the fellowship. And so up to this point, Paul and Barnabas have this relationship that just seems to be so amazing. And, and, you know, this week as I was preparing for this message and I was thinking about their relationship, this song, I don't know why, but this song, and I don't th- I'm not saying it's a spiritual thing, but this song got into my head and it's called the Hey Song. The H-E-Y song. You, you know what that song is? I didn't either, but I knew what it, how it goes, and then I looked, I typed in a few words on Google and found out. I typed in the word, hey, song, and it came up and it said, hey, song. Because this is the song that when you're at a, a hockey match or at a basketball game, you, you hear the thing go, dun, 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 
Yeah, so that's what was going in my head because, you know, it's like, okay, it's like, that was louder than when we were worshiping, guys. Come on. We're going to do that and go praise next time. But anyway, uh, this is where um, when I was thinking about Paul, it's like Paul was like, man, Barnabas, you believed in me when nobody else did. Hey, and when we've been, we've been together through thick and thin, We've planted churches together, proclaimed and defended the gospel together. God is doing great things through us. Hey, let's return to the churches that we were at and see how God's doing. And Barnabas would go, yeah, let's take uh, Mark, John Mark. Nay, (laughs) nay. That's That's what Paul says. He's like, no way. We're not doing that. I mean, everything is so good until they have this disagreement. And isn't conflict funny? How it just seemed to spring up out of nowhere. And and as we're moving forward, I want to give us a definition, what Ken Sandy calls conflict. Conflict is a difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates someone else's goals. I want you to think about that. I want you to think right now about yourself. Are you in any type of conflict with anybody? And I'm going to read this again. Does this apply to you? Conflict is a difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates someone else's goals. Are you, are your goals being frustrated right now? Or are you frustrating someone else's goal? If that's the case, there's, there's a great possibility you're in conflict with somebody. And that's what was going on between Paul and and Barnabas, they had a difference of opinion. Barnabas says, hey, let's take John Mark. It might be because he's that, he's an encourager. He's like, let's give him a second chance. He was younger then, he's ready. And Paul's like, no way, man. Have you forgotten what he did to us? He left us when we needed him. He deserted us. And don't you remember that missionary work is dangerous? It's, it's life-threatening. And John Mark, he's, he would be, uh, he's not reliable. We can't trust him. He, he would be a liability if we took him. And, you know, you might be asking, well, who was right? Who was wrong? And Luke, who was the writer of Acts, does not explicitly say which one of them was right. I have my thoughts on it, and I might discuss it next week. But the thing that I want us to see here is that brothers who loved each other and served together were divided by unresolved conflict. And what's sad to me is that in verse 39, that is the last time that we hear of Barnabas in the book of Acts. It doesn't look like Paul and Barnabas ever worked together. Now, I'm not saying they didn't reconcile, but as far as we know, they never worked together again. And so we know that, you know, there shouldn't be conflict in the church, but there is. And there is a right way to deal with it, a Christ-centered way to deal with it, and a wrong way, a man-centered way to deal with disagreements. And I want to look at both of those. I want to look at, first, the wrong ways to deal with conflict, with handling conflict. And uh, Sandy talks about two, uh, two ways. There's the escape responses. When you have conflict and you, you want to escape, he calls this peace faking. You're faking 
peace when there's not really peace there. And then there's attack responses. He calls it peace breaking. And I want to look at both of those. When it comes to the escape responses, and I, and I talked about this a while back, that there's, there's a, a response that I call the paint sprayer response when you're dealing with conflict. It's, it's really denying that there's really a problem. And what, why I call it the paint sprayer response is because, you know, you go to somebody or someone comes to you and says, hey, are we good? I mean, because it just feels like something's wrong. And you're like, yeah, we're good. I'm just tired. Had a lot going on. You're covering it. You're really not telling the truth. You're like, no, man, we're good. You're denying that there is a issue that needs to be dealt with. And um, it's kind of like climbing up on that barn and, and spraying the hole and then going down and, and spraying the, the, water, the watermark on the ground, hoping that that's going to fix it. But really, it's just covering it up. It's going to come back. It's going to rain again, and it's going to come back. And over time, if this is not dealt with in a biblical way, it has the, the uh, potential of destroying brothers and sisters. Secondly, Another escape response is the cherry picker response. You ever been in one of those? That is an awesome machine, especially if you don't want to deal with relationships in a biblical way. You know, because you can get away from people. You just get in there and you get, you get as far away as you can from that person at a distance. They can still see you like, are we okay? Yeah, we're good. We're good. You see them over there in the corner. So instead of walking this way, you walk that way. You don't make eye contact with them. Can anybody relate to that? That's just how we are. This is, that's the built-in way that we deal with conflict. And the problem with this, again, is it's not dealing with the conflict in a way that's going to take care of the issue. It's going to, if not dealt with, it's going to keep distance between brothers and sisters. It's, it's, it's not peacemaking, it's peace faking. You're faking it as if everything's good. Now, the attack response, the peace-breaking response, I like to call it the wrecking ball. You, you ever seen a wrecking ball? What, they, what those things do? Now, listen, in this situation, you're not denying there's a problem. Oh, there is a problem, and we're going to deal with it right now. And I'm not avoiding it, I'm destroying it. And you go in and just, 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 and walk away. You feel good, but the other person is laying there on the ground, or you're the one laying on the ground. Either way, the wrecking ball. You're, you're aggressive. You're, you're trying to, to use your own methods to intimidate or to destroy the opposition. Again, I think it's clear that neither one of these responses, the escape or attack responses, are biblical. They don't glorify God because they don't really deal with with the issue. But the good news is that there is a biblical, God-honoring, Christ-glorifying way to deal with conflict that leads to life. That's good news. There is a way that if we deal with it rightly, it will lead to life. But here's, here's what we need to understand. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 14, that the gate is narrow and the way is what? Hard. The way is narrow and the way is, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. 
There is a way that leads to life, but we need to understand it's not easy. That's why we don't go that way on our own. That's why we don't, that road is not chosen as much. It's difficult. It's hard. It goes against our natural inclinations. And it often requires us to die. Die to ourselves. And you know, death is painful. But here's the good news. If we will come to Jesus and allow him to to teach us and, and we follow him, he promises it will lead to life in the end. And so over the next two weeks, what I want to do is I want to look at four primary principles that Ken Sandy outlines in his book, The Peacemaker. These are known as the four G's. They are glorify God, get the log out of your own eye, gently restore, and go and be reconciled. We're going to look at the first two. We're going to look at glorify God and get the log out of your eye this week. And by God's grace, we will plan to do the other two. Does that sound good? All right, so let's start with glorify God. I want to remind you, and this is something we say in our church all the time. I hope that we uh, remember this, but we are forgetful people, and we need to be reminded often that we everything that has, is created was created to glorify God. Everything. God created everything for him. Uh, it was all created by him, and it was created for him. And, and so we need to understand that um, everything that we do should glorify God. But the problem with conflicts is that it causes us to often go from being God-centered to having our focus on God. It brings our, our eyesight down this way, and we get focused on the horizontal. And we look at ourselves. We get centered on ourselves. And our mindset goes from being heavenly to, to earthly. We need to understand that. that that's what conflict does. It brings our, our vision down. It, help, it takes us off of remembering the glory of God. And so the first step, the first step to biblical peacemaking begins with God. It starts with God. It does not start this way. It starts this way. We need to get our focus off ourselves. We need to get our focus off of one another and get and consider God. How can I, here's the question you need to ask, how can I glorify God in this current situation that's difficult, that I want to run away from, or that I would just want to bulldoze, bulldoze over right now? How can God be glorified in this? And the best way to glorify God is to trust him. That, that's the best way to go. That's really the only way that we can glorify God is to have our faith in him. And if I were talking to Paul and Barnabas and counseling him, and you might say, well, James, who, who do you think you are to counsel Paul and Barnabas? Well, the truth is, if I've got the word of God I'm, and, and I know how to, 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 to share it, then I'm qualified. You're qualified uh, to, to share it. It doesn't matter if it's Paul and Barnabas or somebody that's just uh, been come to Christ. But if I could... Going back to, if I could counsel Paul and Barnabas in in their disagreement, the first question I would ask them is this, are you trusting God right now? Right now in in this situation, are you trusting God or are you trusting something else? Secondly, I would tell them two attributes of God that I would say, if you will focus on this and remember this, this will help you to trust in God. The first one is this, is to remember that God is sovereign. Remember that God is sovereign. In other words, God is in complete control of everything. 
in the universe. There is not a planet spinning out of, out of uh, God's orbit. There is not an atom that's vibrating outside of God's control, his complete control. And so if he's in control of those things, he's in control of the situation that you, that you are in. There is nothing we need to understand. There is nothing that can thwart God's good purposes. There's nothing that can thwart God's good plans in our lives. Job 42 verse 2 says, I know that you can do all things. Speaking of God, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Daniel 4.35 says, speaking of God, he does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? We need to understand, we need to remember that our God is in complete control. He's in complete control of our lives. Jesus says that there is not a sparrow that falls to the ground that God is not aware of and that, that, that he doesn't even care about, that God doesn't care about. God cares about a sparrow. Then he goes to us, he goes, look, God knows all the hairs on your head. Think about that. He knows, in other words, he knows you intimately. He knows everything about you. He, he knows every detail of who we are. And so, and he has the power to do anything according to his will. And so I would say, Paul, I would say, Barnabas, look, look, I know you want to glorify God. I mean, you wrote the Bible, so I know you want to glorify God. But you need to first remember that, that he's sovereign. But don't stop there. The second thing, the second attribute I want us to, to, to look at is to remember that God is good. God is good. And all the time, God is good. And all the time, God is good, right? We need to be reminded of that. We do need to be reminded of that. Ken Sandy says this, if all we knew was that God is in control or that God is sovereign, we could have reason to fear. Indeed, if he used his power arbitrarily, sometimes for, our, for good and sometimes for evil, we would be in great danger. But this is not the case. God is good. His power is always wielded or exercised with perfect love. God is good. This is good news to us. God is sovereign and he's good. This is good news to us because it means that everything, every circumstance, every situation, every trial, every hardship, and even every conflict that we have with somebody enters into our lives because God has allowed it to. It didn't sneak past God. Now, I'm not saying, now, don't misunderstand me. There's one thing I want to make sure you understand here. I'm not saying that God causes these conflicts. God cannot do evil. He, he does not bring, bring evil upon us. But in his wisdom and in his love for us, he allows into our lives situations in order to accomplish his good purposes for us. And one of those, one of the main purposes that God uses conflicts in our lives, you know what that is, he uses them for? Is to conform us more and more into the image of Jesus. We need to understand that. Conflicts are not necessarily a bad thing. 
God wants to, to use the conflicts in our lives to make us more like Jesus. And so once we grasp that, that God is sovereign, that he's, he controls our destiny, and that he is good, that he has, our, he has your best interest in mind, you've got to believe the truth. He has your best interest in mind. Once we, can, we grasp those two things, we are free to walk in a way that glorifies God. So the first thing we need to see, if we're going to deal with conflict biblically, we need to glorify God by remembering that God is sovereign and that he's what? That he's good. Secondly, we need to get the log out of our eye. Is there a log in your eye that is keeping you from seeing clearly? And here's, four, here's three questions I want us to ask when you're examining yourself, when you're looking at the log in your own eye. The first is this, is this really worth fighting over? Is the conflict that we're about to be in something that I really need to address, or can I overlook it? There are times that that there are minor offenses that we make huge, when if we could just over, we, we really could overlook them. But it doesn't mean that overlooking them means that you're storing it away and just getting more and more minor offenses so that one day you can bring out the wrecking ball. It, that, that's not what we're talking about here. We're saying, really, I'm not going to ever bring this up again. This isn't ammunition for later. So if, you, if it's minor, you can do it. Now, when, when should you not, uh, when should you know that it is worth fighting for? If you see that, Whatever the situation is, the person is, is, is in sin, is seriously harming God's name, is seriously harming themselves, or is harming someone else. Then we do need to go in and deal with it. But we've got to be careful that we aren't making a mountain out of a molehill. So the first thing we need to ask ourselves, is this really worth fighting over? Secondly, am I being overly sensitive. Man, that one's one that I, I, I have to ask myself. Am I being overly sensitive? And the, the answer often is yes, because, you know, we are very, did you know that we're insecure creatures? Tell someone they're insecure and you'll see how insecure they get. And that happens when we forget God. That, that happens when we forget God is sovereign and that he's good and that he loves us, and that he withholds no good thing from them that walk uprightly. We, we get very insecure. And sometimes in our insecurity, someone can say something to us, and we feel like we're being attacked. You know, like, hey, man, uh, what's God been showing you in the Word today? You haven't been reading the Word, but, oh, who do you think you are? The police? What, what are you going to do next? Ask me, how's my prayer life? No, I'm not asking you that now. But it's one of those things where we're, we can be very defensive. The person wasn't attacking you. They're just asking you a question. And we can be very defensive. So we need to ask ourselves, am I being too sensitive in what's going on right now? Have I made myself out to be a victim when really I'm not? Really, I'm just insecure. Number three is, am I seeing things as they really are? Now, this is the, this is the hard one. Um, because when there is a log in our eyes, it's hard to see clearly. You think you're seeing clearly. Your emotions are telling you that you're see, seeing clearly, but 
Things get blurry in the, in the middle of a heated conflict. It says that that's what was happening with Paul and Barnabas. There arose a sharp disagreement. Someone wasn't, see, it could have been both of them. Somebody wasn't seeing things rightly and, and as they really were. And so, as we saw in our passage, they separated from each other. And it's interesting, I've noticed about myself that when, when I'm in a disagreement with someone and I think I'm right, um, I'm, I'm so much more gracious for myself than I am for that person. Is, is anyone else like that? It's like, I, I'm, I'm, I know I'm right and, and you're wrong and, uh, and I'm convinced and, and, and you're very passionate because you believe you're, you're right. And uh, last week I heard a, a, a pastor talk about his wife when, about how when they were in conflict, he said that she said to him, uh, you're not always right but you're always sure. That's, that's how it, it, it can be, right? We can be confidently wrong, and often I often am. Um, and the question we need to ask ourselves is this, do you want to be right or do you want to walk in the truth where Jesus is? The desire to be right or the, or the desire to walk with Christ and in Christ in this situation? Because, we're, again, we're insecure, and being right makes us feel more secure, falsely. And so when we're seeking to resolve conflict in a biblical way, again, the first thing we need to do is to, to seek to glorify God. Second, we need to take the log out of our own eyes by asking the Lord to, to open our eyes. Lord, open my eyes. Because, see, you can't open your own eyes. Lord, open my eyes. Even if it's painful, help me to to see what I need to see. Show me if I'm wrong in this conflict. Show me where I am wrong in this conflict. Show me where I have failed. Show me where I have contributed to this problem. And then, as he shows you, humbly take responsibility. That's one thing we've, we're not taught in this culture, are we? To take responsibility. It's always, it seems to be somebody else's fault. But that's inside of me. I'm, I'm naturally do that. No. Someone brings to me, you know what the first word that comes to my head? No, no, that can't be right. Instead of, is that right? And if it is, how can I own it? How can I make restitution? How can I own my part of the problem? And, and so once, once we deal with the log in our eye, we'll be in a place to clearly see how to gently and humbly go to our brother or sister who has a speck in their eye and then kind of help them to remove it. And next week, that's what I want us to, to, to go into. I want to explore what does it look like once we've sought to glorify God. Our hearts are, man, I want to glorify God. Once we've taken the log out of, out of our eye, what does it look like to go to the person that we're having conflict conflict? Let's pray together.